the official Azusa Ute A-League podcast brought to you by Neds. Daniel Garb here, currently in seventh heaven as a Liverpool fan, alongside James Dodd, who was in loving life early in the weekend, and then the Reds stole your thunder a little bit this morning. But good to see you, Dotty, still beaming after a big weekend of football, both here and abroad. Absolutely. For those who aren't uh, obviously privy to what's in the studio, you can hear the smile in his face. He hasn't slept since they have at Manchester United <laughs> this morning. G'day, Nick Dubano. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Wish I had the same joy of the weekend with my teams, but uh, unfortunately a loss for my beloved Milan. So not, not been the best weekend for myself. No, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take the joy away from you in this part of uh, the country. That is for sure. But look forward to hearing uh, your insights on all things Australian football. This podcast brought to you by Neds, the official wagering partner of the A-Leagues. You can take it to the Neds level like Liverpool did against United with the Neds early payout. Place a match result bet on any A-League men game. And if your team leads by two goals at any point in the match, you'll be paid out early. That is taking it to the Neds level. And uh, you win some you lose more, of course, for free and confidential support. Visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Sorry, Manchester United fans. We'll turn to Australian football now. That is for sure. We'll start with the team in red, though, to carry on that theme because let's dial it back to Friday night. Kunda is away. This could seal it. Wouldn't you know it? Game of the weekend, the performance of the weekend, one that we anticipated and one that delivered. Adelaide with a massive victory over Melbourne City that uh, all of a sudden just hammers home their title credentials, I think, in a big way. They were a joy to watch in what was just a pumping atmosphere there at Hindmarsh. It was. And uh, you know what I thought was most impressive about this performance from Adelaide is that they, they played with, with purpose, but they played with no fear. They said to Melbourne City, okay, you know, you go ahead. It was a, it was a defensive error that kind of allowed them. Um, it was Lockie Bowles, wasn't it? it was playing Naboo on side. And it, from then, it's quite easy when you go a goal down against Melbourne City, this team that we know can score goals for fun. It would be very easy and, and very you know fair, I suppose, for for a lot of teams to go. Okay, right, we're just going to retreat a little bit and make sure that we keep this at one 0 We don't do what Sydney FC did, for example, the last week and try and go at them straight away and then leave ourselves so open. But once they did get themselves back into the game, Colvitt's post-match press conference was so interesting because he was asked the question as to say, how do you do it? How have you got such a good record against Melbourne City? And he said, well, listen, if we can beat their press, the first line of their press, we're then in on their back four. And he instructed his players to go at them. Go and take the game to Melbourne City. We've seen this season they can score goals for fun. Yep. But for a team that, that is that far and away at the top of the league, their defensive effort or their, their defensive structure isn't maybe as rigid, maybe under Rado Vizic as it was under Patrick yeah. Isnorbo, but it you can get at them. And and you saw that in, in spades. Adelaide, uh, Adelaide United were absolutely fantastic in this football match. And what it does do is it gives them... I feel as though you know we've spoken about them quite a lot recently about how they were on a little bit of a run where they were you know they were unbeaten but they weren't necessarily putting wins together. Well, now you look at the results they're getting and I feel as though they have turned a bit of a corner under Colvitt again. You could sense that from him. You could sense that from the players. You know, Nestoria and Kunda it grabs the headlines again, but you know this wasn't a game that was about him. This was a game that was about the important senior players and those like Louis Dorigo coming in who, who really make a. Um, an added impact into this game, into this team. And, and you know, for Adelaide, this is such an important win. And for Melbourne City, I think this also provides a bit of a blueprint for everybody else yeah. that says, 
you know what? You go at them, you can get some joy. It's a bit of a concern, mainly because of the coaching change. I think that's what others will be looking at. All right, things, because Norbo's gone, now they've got a weakness potentially that can be exploited. Adelaide flying, three wins in their, their last five. But Melbourne City, Nick, did have a chance to put themselves in a strong position. I mean, Van der Ven, who's been excellent, creates the first for Andrew Naboot. I mean, Naboot does most of the work. But then he puts one on a platter for Jamie McLaren, who just couldn't get his body right. So often, Jamie McLaren finishes in that position and he just couldn't quite get the angle going that would have been 2-0 up and it would have made a massive difference and that's an opportunity that uh, Melbourne City spurned and Adelaide took advantage of no absolutely um, obviously you know this is a bit of a situation where City probably could have really put this game away early and gone into the break with the 2-0 lead and sort of you know really kicked their head after that um, the, the the interesting thing is you mentioned the bad record. I mean, sort of diving into the numbers after the game and having a look at sort of the record in itself. I mean, Adelaide really might have Melbourne City's number. I mean, every team has that hoodoo team that they just can't quite get over. And it seems like right now it's Adelaide for Melbourne City and particularly at Cooper Stadium. They actually haven't won there now in almost five years. I think it's December 2018 was the last time it happened. They've won two in 12 games against Adelaide United, only one of them being when they did the double and in the semi-final second leg last year. And Adelaide, I mean, yes, they might have shown a bit of a blueprint in how to beat City and go with their defence, but I think it's a lot of teams are starting to realise it. They've conceded 15 goals in six games. Like, teams are understanding that once you do get past that first line and you do really go at them, Considering how hard Melbourne City do go at you and the numbers they throw forward and the waves of pressure, if you're able to soak that up and hit them on the break, they are vulnerable. And that's something that wasn't, isn't just something that's been prevalent under Rado Vitisic. It was something that was prevalent under Patrick Kisnorbo last year as well, but kind of went under the wayside a little bit because they were winning, they were top of the table and everything like that. But they had some real defensive issues last season. Um, so it's something certainly to keep an eye on as this season progresses. It's just that City's firepower has been able to literally go toe-to-toe and play shootouts and been able to beat them, almost outgun them. So when a team like Adelaide is, you know, taking their chances up the other way and, and putting them to the sword, I mean, there are going to be those situations. So, you know what, I'm really fascinated if we see this matchup mm-hmm. again come finals time because, you know, Adelaide and City played out a very tight 2-1, two-legged semi last year, which very easily, I mean, Adelaide were, what, half an hour away, even less, from getting a spot in the grand final. We see another situation like that. Who knows what's going to happen? It's it's really, really fascinating. But I still think City will work it out. I mean, yes, it's a bit of a bad run defensively, but even without Matthew Leckie, I still think this team is way too much quality to really fall to bits from here. They've got a bit of a good run coming up. So really intrigued to see how they bounce back this weekend. So often when the, the atmosphere around a game goes to another level, the standard rises with it. And I felt this game was one of those. Not always the case, but but quite often. And some of the football being played was fantastic, mainly from the Reds in the second half. I thought some of their passing was was wonderful. Melbourne City probably had the better of it in the first half. And then, you know, SIS, that delivery for Craig Goodwin, who he finds himself in more space than he should. I mean, in that situation when you... You're starting to step out defensively. Surely that's the first player you look for, right? Where's Goodwin? Pick him up. And they lose him. But SIS picks him out superbly. And then the chest down, when he has to reach back a little bit, and then the finish from that angle, it was just exquisite. And he's up to eight goals now, or six, eight goals. What's the exact stat? Something like eight goals, eight, eight goals, six assists, sorry. I mean, you're looking at Goodwin, McLaren, 
Brandon Barello. It's such a tight call for player of the season. McLaren was streets ahead, but you know, Barello and Goodwin are getting that in, getting that him now, I think. You know, the votes often in these situations work out differently, not always as we expect, but you could throw a blanket for mine over all three right now, and, and that was just a wonderful finish. And then you get the exclamation mark at the end, which is Irin Kunda. And I want to talk a bit more about youth football in Australia a bit later in the pod when you look at the prevalence of young talents coming through right now. But that that's exactly what that home crowd needed, a Goodwin stunner and then the young phenom just putting it to bed. Yeah, just to add that icing on the cake, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I think you, you're right to praise the crowd. It was, I think, 10,500 people in there on a Friday night. Great weather, under the floodlights, you know, a, a, a real brilliant example for anybody watching around the world that would have thought, oh, you know, maybe they tune in for the first time, what's the A-League men's like? When you see a game like that and you see the conditions played in, the way that the crowd was so on top of everyone there, it's like, you know, you've been to hundreds of stadiums around the world, Garby, and I'm sure Nick as well. Like, when you're in a stadium and the t- the the atmosphere just bubbles and it just goes up and up and up and you can see that one of the tides, if it's the away side, they start to wilt a little bit and they go, every time we're touching the ball now, there's a pressure and it just it just increases and, and you could see that they, they thrived under that because as soon as the fans saw that Adelaide United were getting some success by being on the front foot and being proactive, the crowd respond to it mm. and yeah. To see that, and then, like he said, Nestruy and Kunda finishing off the way he did, calling it the best tap-in I think he's ever scored. <laughs> it's fantastic. Erin Kunda, a Player of the Month nominee, along with Craig Goodwin, uh, Jamie McLaren, Richie van der Ven, Matt Leckie and Jordan Boss from Melbourne City. We'll go through the full list uh, throughout the podcast. Casera still going on! Great finish! And Anthony Caceres this time surely does open the scoring. But the victory fans, the victory players remonstrating with the referee about the awarding of the corner. A clear and obvious error. Uh, Nick, if you do in fact attend Melbourne Victory training this week in a Tony Popovich press conference, is there any chance you might have cooled down after <laughs> the corner that wasn't a corner was given for a Sydney FC goal on Saturday night? Uh, well, I think he has every right to be frustrated. I mean, and so do all the Melbourne Victory supporters. I mean, it was clear as day it was a goal kick, and you know they fell on the opposite side, on the other side of a, a a real disappointing decision that went against them. I mean, I think Melbourne Victory, when you look at the ninety minutes, and this is probably what would frustrate Tony Popovich as well. They were the better team. Yeah, they created more chances. They weren't like they created better chances. I think it was a very much. It wasn't your typical like Adelaide Melbourne City game where you have it becomes into a bit of a basketball game. This came a bit more of an arm wrestle, but they were the better team. They were the more proactive team. They just couldn't get that final ball, get that final real good opportunity to get that that elusive equaliser. But it really shouldn't have had to be them chasing an equaliser. It should have been them chasing the go ahead goal. And I think you know when it's not your year and things start to stack up in that way, and there's been a lot of frustrating things going on for Melbourne Victory. He has every right to be to feel that. And you know what? Like I, I, I do feel for them in that in that instance because when you when your results aren't going your way, you feel like almost the world's going against you. And when stuff like that happens, it's just you're just banging your head against the wall, wondering what is going on there. So, um, yeah, like I mean, they've they've got it. It's now. Uh, if it wasn't their season done, I mean, season's mm. probably still hanging by a thread, given how still it's only nine points. They've still got that game in hand, which obviously they're losing, but. I mean, this weekend against Western United, it's really, they have to win. Like yeah. if the last two games weren't already must win, every game wasn't already like the proverbial cup final. Now it is like, it's it's now or never. 
Um, Andy Harper made a really good point on the broadcast about them potentially being the best wooden spoon team we've ever seen. <laughs> because usually, like, you think back to the history of the A-League men and you look at some of the, the teams that have finished bottom in previous years and how hapless and how poor they've played, you know, without rattling off too many names and sort of throwing the old Mariners teams under the bus or New Zealand Knights or whatever else. Yeah. This Melbourne Victory team is ultra competitive and they're, they're putting up a fight every week. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's just disappointing for them. So a big game for them coming up against Western United, but I'm sure Tony Popovich would still feel quite frustrated that at least he didn't get a point out of that game. Yeah, I'm sure Sydney FC are relishing the situation. They did get a bit of fortune here, but at the same time, they took the goal really well. I mean... I find it odd that VAR pulls up so many things, but then that it can't. I mean, that's just the intricacies of the system, which, you know, a little bit bemusing, but it's the way it goes. And the goal was still fantastic. And that probably got overlooked in the understandable frustration of Tony Popovich and and the Melbourne victory afterwards. I mean, the Max Burgess cutback for a player who I think in Anthony Caceres is just about the most underrated in the A-League over the last two or three years. You look over that period and how consistent he's been. He's an intriguing Australian footballer all up. I mean, what a finish from that angle. Smashes in the roof of the net with a lot of composure. This is a guy who's won three A-League championships. With the Mariners, two with Sydney now. He's been the heart of a lot of those teams. Let's not forget he was signed by Manchester City when they first took over um, Melbourne City. And a lot of people shook their heads at that. What's this all about? Anthony Caceres? I mean, is, is there something else at play here? He's never really... He hasn't made his Socceroos debut. He's never really been linked strongly to a squad, yet he's been such a crucial player in three championship teams and has been fantastic for Sydney FC in a bit of a tricky time the last couple of years. I thought he was head and shoulders above any other player on the pitch on Saturday night. And it summed up um, just how vital a player he is to that team and how underrated he's been over the last few years. He's a he's a really interesting discussion point. Um, and that wonderful finish that ends up winning the game which gets overlooked because of the controversy probably brought that to a head I thought he's a um, he's a beautiful player to watch isn't he because he, the way that he's got this the ability to to wriggle away from people but to to run with the ball and run past people the positions that he picks up I mean you know when he first moved to, to Sydney FC I think he, you know he was kind of being deployed in that four two 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 system that 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 um the Sydney FC were playing and I think most people presumed, uh, presumed that he was more of a sort of a 10 but now in this incarnation of the of the, the formation he's playing more of an 8 and, and you know he has that licence to roam he's he's a great passer of the football he picks up excellent positions he's, his awareness is very good in terms of his you know his defensive work player. and very intelligent footballer and I think when you when you see someone like him score goals like that even if you don't support Sydney FC if you, you know, even if you support someone else you, there's always uh, an appreciation of just how, how how technically gifted that footballer is and Anthony Caceres is, is that player for me and I think when you combine him with with someone like Max Burgess who is seemingly in such a rich vein of form at the moment the red card aside personally I don't think that should be given as a red card I don't know what you guys think but I think when you've got a player that you know the players in the uh, in the rest of the team look up to Anthony Caceres. They look to him to make things happen. You know, we've spoken uh, at length about the aging defence and the aging squad in general at Sydney FC. But when you have a player like Anthony Caceres that can make the difference like that, that can really genuinely make the difference to Sydney FC's season because they've given themselves some breathing room ahead of Newcastle. Now they're you know they're still sixth. They're a point behind Wellington and fifth. If 
the likes of Joe Lolly don't click and Robert Mack, you know, Robert Mack scored a brilliant goal at the weekend. It was just unfortunately he was mm. offside. But, you know, if, if they don't find their feet in a game, it's usually Anthony Caceres that will. And he is also the player that will make a difference in some way, whether it's the pass before the pass, you know, or, or, or scoring the winning goal like he did against Victory. And, and when you, if you're Steve Corica and you're, you know you're in this finals, this tight finals race in order to just, to just try and secure a space in there, I think if you've got Anthony Caceres in your team, that's always a massive, massive positive. He's the Ilkay Gundogan of Sydney FC for me. Like you don't always notice his influence. He's not always the headline grabber, but you look back and you peel it all back the season, you go, wow, he had a big impact. Floats into spaces, not always discussed as much as others, but so effective, incredibly effective and so shrewd on the park. Love watching him play and it's time he got his uh, his dues, I think. So, yep, a Melbourne victory, unfortunate or unlucky on the balance of play, Nick. But now they have that big opportunity, as you say, against a Western United side off the back of two victories in a row. And with a youngster up front who it seems like has rejuvenated the whole club in Noah Bottic. Maybe one final opportunity for Lockie Wales. It heads towards the back post. Noah Bottic is waiting for it. And would you believe it? Noah Bottic with his third goal in two weeks. It's a wonderful finish at the back post. What a wonderful goal it was to put them 2-1 up, a result they were able to hang on to. Yeah, absolutely. And I know John Aloisi wants us all to, you know, not get too Sorry, excited. Johnny. Just to park the excitement. Sorry, Johnny. We're getting when ahead of got, ourselves on Noah. <laughs> when we've got a number nine, like yeah, a, exactly. a number nine that's scoring goals like this, you can't help but get excited. I mean, yeah. Noah Botic has had raps about him for such a long time now, and it's just been all about getting his opportunity. And, and when he gets that opportunity, what is he going to do when he does get it? We've seen it in glimpses. I mean, early this season, every time he got on the field, you felt like something was going to happen. Like he was getting in really good areas. You know, he was adding a lot of energy in that front line. You're like, okay, there is a player here. Like there is a reason why, you know, Manchester United gave him a trial. He was on Hoffenheim's books. You know, he was winning awards as a youngster and there was all these heavy raps. But all it was just waiting for was just that break breakthrough, that one goal. And now he's confident and he scored, you know, four goals in four games um, he's got that position as his, as the number nine position. I mean, you know, Alexander Prejevic has had his injury concerns, but Prejevic was back and was on the bench. I didn't even bother to play the two of them together. It's Noah Botic's front line now. Like, that's the exciting part about all of this. And it brings me back to listening to the Players Pod last week. Robbie Cornthwaite was chatting with Damian Murray yeah, and Bobby Kispatowski about... Yeah you know, the dying breed of number nines mm. and how, you know, Jamie McLaren's one of the last ones and we don't have many strikers in the league, Australian strikers that are banging in the goals consistently. Maybe we have found someone to keep an eye on over the next few seasons that could reach that double-digit level and someone that I think as time goes on, I think he'll definitely be wearing a Socceroos jersey as well. And, you know, I think we do have a lot of, like we have some number nines, obviously with McLaren and Cummings and Taggart and Duke. But after that, what's the next wave? Yeah. And I, I, this might sound ludicrous here, but, you know, Noah Bottic in this sort of form, you can't help but go, he's really shooting up the pecking order here. That There's every reason to suggest that maybe by the end of this calendar year, I'm, I'm, like if, you know, we're, we're really looking at how some of these youngsters you know, can catapult themselves into contention. There is every reason to suggest that he could get a Socceroos call up if he continues this form. Maybe not by March. I think yeah. March might be a step too soon. But by the end of the calendar year, 
I think that there has to be a consideration if he keeps scoring at this level because yeah. he has all the tools to be a really, really talented player. Yeah, and if he stays fit, you you probably want you know a little bit more football under his belt. But you look at the way in which he chests that ball down, keeps his balance, and then finishes. Just that moment, you go, all right, there's, there's something a little bit different about him. Now I get it. Because that's not an easy thing to do. And because players in that position are so scarce. And we're not the only country that fails to produce them. You know, people go on about Australian football. Where are our strikers? How many top countries in the world have top draw number nines? Like, it, it does, they're the hardest players to produce. We're not the only ones. You know, how many American top-class strikers have there been? Portuguese, yeah, Netherlands, exactly. off the top of your head. They don't necessarily produce, you know, barnstorming number nines. Go through Scandinavia. There's Latan, of course. But how many others have they been able to produce? You know, Norway have got Haaland now before him. You know, and these are footballing, you know, the, the number one sport in those countries. They are very difficult players to find. So, yeah, you do get excited about them. It doesn't mean that you say they're the next whoever and so and so but there's reason to be enthused and it brings home a point to me which is this little golden period we're going through now when it comes to young players in Australian football there's Noah Boddick there's Nestoria and Kunda there's um, Garen Quoll there's Geordie Boss Riley McGree is a little bit older but he's coming through at a, a top level now in the championship and we saw what Keanu Backus did at the World Cup Joe Gauchi in goals and, and others and Jake Holman's another one at MacArthur. You look at and think, yeah, he's set for, Marco for a big career. Marco Tilio. And it kind of annoyed me a bit when Dwight York has contributed a lot to Australian football, had a little crack on the way out from MacArthur. And the stuff he said about the club, well, that's between them, two sides to every story, and that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with him revealing those insights. But I didn't like the little drive-by at Australian football. The pathways are all messed up here and so on and so forth because it's not perfect. We all know that. But we're going through a good period at the moment. A really good period, and it just it irritates when people get so passionate about the negative, but then those same people don't want to enthuse as much about the positives. Not just one or two players, but things on the whole. And it's a time to sit back and go, you know what? Get excited because the Socceroos have the chance of of going through a really nice era off the back of what they've done at the last World Cup with all of these youngsters coming through. I think for me, when I see comments like that from from Dwight and and you know previous managers who have who have moved to Australia maybe to Marcus Babbel had a big Marcus crack on Babble. his way out and he he was given a a long stint at Western Sydney when the results weren't turning and on the yeah. way out he has a big crack I don't know it doesn't always sit well I th- I think for for if we're going to be honest you have to look at and you you are right Dwight has you know has contributed a lot to Australian football but some of those managers in particular come here for their own selfish you know they're, they're here to build their own careers they're not here for the benefit of Australian football and I think you know Dwight is if he was playing you know young emerging Socceroos or young Australian talent at MacArthur it was because he had to not because he necessarily wanted to right I mean he brought in players like Bashan Arabuli who you know I've interviewed Bashana this year really really nice guy really level-headed respected by the by the rest of the squad but it hasn't necessarily worked for him and you know you've got someone like Al Hassan Toure who's in that squad who is a young kid who we, we spoke about last week who you know has the real potential to go on and, and potentially you know take his career to the next level but they need time Daniel Lozani needs time good to see him back playing on the weekend Daniel Lozani yep. starting for MacArthur Jake Holman needs time needs game time more more importantly but needs guidance and needs pressure and, and you know if you're if you're a coach whose who's remit is basically to win as many games as you can otherwise you're going to get sacked 
well, you, you're going to trust senior players and therefore you, you naturally have this cognitive bias to, to say that, well, maybe the youth isn't good enough, mm. which I, it's just... It's, it's scandalous. It's not true. Nick, do you have any thoughts on this? Like the Christian Volpato situation is another example where everyone fires up about Volpato being missed by the system, which, yeah, it's frustrating when you see an Aussie player then going to Roma and flourishing, but you know, plenty of clubs miss, miss players in academies and they go somewhere else. That's a frustration for us. But the vitriol that surrounds that, um, but then the praise is missing when we have these youngsters coming through from some – that's where I find um, some frustrations lie. Yeah, I think the the thing is, it's like bring the same energy for both. Yes, like, yeah, correct. You, you are you are going to lose naturally in the system that we we have right now. With you know, when you look at the current Australian football ecosystem, unfortunately, there are going to be the occasional player that slips through the cracks. It's times when you've got only 12, 12 professional teams. We're not in a position where we have the full established football pyramid right now. Obviously, national second division on the way. Hopefully, some more expansion a situation where we can get more teams in more opportunities for that. And obviously it's the byproduct of, you know, as you mentioned, coaches want to win now and it's such a results-based league that, you know, that's that there is going to be that situation at times. Um, but yeah, I think, look, I understand from Dwight York's perspective that there are, it is frustrating when you do see young players slipping through the cracks and, you know, you look at Christian Volpato, you look at Noah Skoko, who was, you know, really left out of the whole system. He's now playing in Croatia and he's in the Croatian youth teams, was playing in NPL in Victoria last year and wasn't given a go with the young with the with the younger teams here in academies. So of course you're going to lose those sort of players. But the the main message in all this is like just look, bring that same energy because for every player that we do lose, there are some really good players coming through as well. Obviously our system's not perfect, but hopefully we can get there down the track with the establishment of the second division, the the league maturing, everything else that's coming along along the way. So, yeah, going to be very, like, you know, it'll be intriguing to see how things move on from here. But, um, yeah, uh, I, as I said, as we both said, like, bring that same energy for both. Enjoy these kids. They're a fantastic yeah. group at the moment, and a lot of them are playing here in Australia. And so get behind them because it's uh, it's something that may form a part of uh, the national team that you love so much, the soccer is moving forward. So get onto their stories nice and early. They might find you and hop here. He's looking to score in three consecutive games. Squares it up. Chance, would you credit it? Roman Amalfitano and the 10 men grab a second goal in front of the red and black block. Central Coast Mariners, one win in seven now. It's a big slide, big win for Western Sydney. So they're up to second and uh, they're looking really strong now. Along with Adelaide, they've they've broken away from the Mariners. There was that top four. Obviously, City were out on their own. And then we thought, yeah, Wanderers, Adelaide, Central Coast, a gap to the rest. Well, Central Coast have slipped behind now. And Wanderers and Adelaide have, have broken ahead of them on form at the moment. Uh, Brandon Borello, superb again. But uh, Nick Montgomery needs to stop the slide. He does and he, he needs to... He needs his players to help him out a bit because you know, not just from a results perspective. Stop getting sent off. Yeah, I know. Every week, honestly, Benny and Kalolo, what are you thinking? <laughs> like it's and that all that does. I mean, there is, you know, we'll come. I'll come onto this in a second, but that's such a stupid decision, and it, it comes from maybe. So it has to come from frustration because you know they're still in the game at this point. As soon as that happens, they're absolutely not. And, you know, one win in seven, they are sliding down the table. They're, they're you know, bereft of any any real proper, you know, centre-back options with Brian Kaltek out suspended. Nick Triantis is still away with the under-20s. So, you know, Jacob Farrell's done a really good job in there. But, you know, 
Nate Montgomery has seen this team just drop from the the heights that they were at in terms of the aggression, the 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 fearlessness that they displayed when they were taking on teams at their absolute best. Even if they were down a man, they were still going at teams. And mm. but they're not picking up those results. It could have looked slightly different because you know I was at the the Wellington game last weekend, and they probably should have won that game to be perfectly honest. But they come away with that with a draw. They then go to a massive game like this against the Wanderers, slightly depleted, and they get beaten and they get well beaten. The only bonus I think from a Mariners perspective is that. Benny and Kololo not being there because he'll now be suspended means that Christian Theoharis is going to play. And I've really liked what I've seen from yeah, him so yeah. far since he's gone to the, the Another youngster. The Mariners. Another youngster. Yeah. Another player that has something to prove. Another player that when you watch him, and I know you know I've made some silly comparisons on this podcast before, but the body shape of, of Theoharis, he almost reminds me, it's a little bit of an Eden Hazard style. You know, he's quite squat. He's quite small. He uses yeah. his backside when he's playing. He, you know, he backs into people. He uses his body really well. And he's got such a good turn of pace and skill and trickery that I think maybe he could be the, the shining light from this poor run that they're on in that if you give him a chance to play 90 minutes, maybe he's not quite there fitness-wise yet. That's why he hasn't done so far, but he, he could be a real shining light for this Mariners side as they look to try and, you know, stabilise things because at the moment the run of form they're on is really poor and, and the players certainly aren't helping Nick Montgomery there. And Walla Uni's added a lot to Western Sydney, really liked what he's done, as has Morgan Schneiderlin. And, you know, so start of the year, Nani and Charlie Austin are the, the big marquees and I know Schneiderlin's a different player, but you know, Nani gets his injury, Charlie Austin leaves. Out of nowhere, Morgan Schneiderlin with the big resume and the big clubs that he's played for, might just be able to save things in the, in that sense because he looks really comfortable and Mike is really enjoying life in Australia as well. Yeah, and Nick, I don't know what you think about this as well, but watching that game, Morgan Schneidlin's class really told because he knew the positions to be in. He knew when to play the, the, the more ambitious pass to try and, you know, ball over the top. He knew when to play it simple. He knew when to... to, to up the tempo of the team. His game management in general for this Western Sydney Wanderers side was so, so impressive because he, he essentially, you know, people use the term quarterback a lot now in, in football and it's a, somebody that steers them around and, and that's what I thought Morgan Schneiderlin did. And also, I think the impact that his performance is having on Callum Neuenhoff is someone that Callum Neuenhoff can really learn from week in, week out. I think the only downside for, for Western Sydney Wanderers in this game was another stupid decision and that was Marcelo's tackle and, and guys I don't know why players feel the need to still do this you know why are you why are you going in two-footed like Marco Rodan must be absolutely furious about this because he lost Marcelo due to injury recently it had an impact on the team he's now going to lose him because of a silly two-footed challenge where he didn't need to make that tackle and and in this era of VAR you're not going to get away with that. And I just, I cannot understand why that happened. But for me, that was the only blemish for, for the Wanderers. Yeah, I mean, look, Marcelo is probably one of, if not their most important player in terms of structure. I mean, you saw when he was out, James. I mean, you, you just mentioned it. Their defence was nowhere near as strong as it was prior to that. I mean, um, you can't help but look at that um, Adelaide four-all draw that they had a few weeks ago. And, you know, when... Um, you know, I thought that uh, Beedling filled in quite well. But again, it's not Marcelo. He's the captain. He's the guy who's played all over the world. He sets things up brilliantly for them. Marco Rudan speaks so highly of him when every time, you know, he, he's asked about him. Um, but on a positive note for the Wanderers right now is seeing this attack go to that next level. This We, we speak about deep teams, Melbourne City and everything like that. But what the Wanderers have been able to to get out of this team and bring it in January and everything like that has been unbelievable. And I think 
what has been amazing is this is a team not playing with a traditional number nine. And that was sort of the big thing. We we're talking about in January. Need to bring a number nine, need to bring a number nine in. You know, Kerpich wasn't working. Yangi's had injury problems. But Barello as a nine is actually working quite well because they are so fluid. You look at Layuni, uh, Amel Fatano, Ngbakoto in that team as well. When you bring off, bring on the likes of, you know, Yangi and Milanovic and Ninkovic off the bench as well. You throw all sorts of options at teams and you can run teams ragged by just having these interchanging players. You know, Barello will come out wide, Leuni will shift in centrally. It's it's unbelievable to watch. And now the Wanderers are actually starting to play a little, little bit more vertical and a bit more on the front foot. I mean, before Marcelo got sent off, they had the Mariners pegged back inside their own box. They were going at and they were creating chances. And that's something that at the start of the season when they probably didn't have that number nine option, didn't have the you know, the wide variety of attacking options that they were able to use, they had to play a little bit more off the break. But now, with the midfield partnership with Schneidel and, and Neuenhoff, which is just controlling games and, and suffocating teams, and there was all that talk about how will the two work together, well, we've seen it, it works quite well because Schneiderlin's actually playing the deeper role, as you mentioned. And Neuenhoff's now getting involved in scoring goals and winning penalties and getting assists and everything and adding another dimension to his game, which is all a very, very exciting thing to see. And this front line is unbelievable to watch because now you see Amel Fatano's freed up to play further forward. You know, you see this front three moving around and doing everything and you can't help but go, geez, like this team could cause a bit of a stir come finals mm-hmm. time. Ten goals in three games. Ten big, goals in three games. It's incredible. Great to watch. Big test for them on Friday night. They go to take on Perth, but a Perth team that's struggling. Much better at home, the glory, of course, but uh, confidence is waning big time there. So that's back, going back to be HBF Park a as big well. opportunity. HBF Park, so hopefully a big crowd for Perth at their return to their home. Hopefully the Macedonia Park uh, vibe carries on to, to HBF, but uh, Western Sydney will be eyeing that off as a, a big trip, return from the West with three points, and and they will continue to grow off the back of that. But uh, maybe Perth at home, moving back to HBF Park and gather some confidence as well as they try and avoid the wooden spoon and yeah, maybe just lift some hopes of, uh, of a finals run as well if they can go on a bit of a run, but that seems unlikely. Looks like they've signed Oli Sale, though, which is going to be a big move in the offseason. Oli Sale announcing that he's leaving Wellington and all the talk is that he's signing for Perth. So that's a big acquisition for the glory if Ruben Zadkovic uh, has managed to tie that one up. A final twist in the tail of this one. Fuyenza back in. The MacArthur and Brisbane had the hallmarks of a 3-2 because Brisbane, both clubs at the moment, are just unsure of where they are right now. I mean, Brisbane have got a new coach and they're trying to play more enterprising football. Um, They got back into the game well. You know, MacArthur, obviously, confidence is not as high as it should be. um, So they give up a 2-0 lead. But then a great moment for Mile Stajowski, Jacob Burns and the people at that club with Jake McGing's 95th minute winner that lifts them up to eighth all of a sudden. I mean, it's incredible that teams like MacArthur and Western United who have gone through so much a turmoil at times this season are well and truly in this finals race and I was delighted for, for some of the people there who have been working really hard. Yeah you know we touched on the the Dwight York situation and, and I suppose that coming out in a week where Mila Stajowski is, is trying to trying to, to, to turn the football club around in such a short space of time. He's trying to put his own stamp on things. You know, they've lost Ulysses Davila for the rest of the season with an injury. So that was always going to be so, so crucial for them to try and find a way to, to win games without him. And 
you know, no matter how you do it, there's, you know, ask most football fans, there's no better way to do it than win it in the last minute with a with a dramatic late goal. And, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to Mille's press conference afterwards and, you know, he said that this is a team that he wants them to play with energy, you know, a good brand of attacking football. It's a bit too chaotic at the moment, I think, for, for the coach and, and for MacArthur fans and, and for the players. You know, they are, they look like they have an idea of how they want to play, but, you know, it's like anything until you iron out the the sort of the creases, then it's they're going to be a bit susceptible going the other way. And, you know, for a long part of this game, it looked as though MacArthur were very comfortable. And I think one thing that I've been critical of them this year is that I don't think their game management has been particularly good. I think that maybe stems from some of the senior players that maybe need to have a bit more of an impact for them because, you know, they sh- they're they tuning up and all of a sudden they're too all. And, you know, Miles Tijovsky would be scratching his head on the side and going, how's this happened again? Maybe it is because we are too open. Maybe it's because we're not we're backing off too much when we're, we're in the lead. And, you know, 2-0 is a very dangerous scoreline, as any football fan knows. And I think maybe the football players at that club are thinking, we don't quite know how to manage the expectations on us. We don't not quite know how to, to, to deal with the positions that we find ourselves in matches. But to go on and win a game like that in... in in that circumstance will give them a massive shot in the arm this week. And as you say, you know, they're eighth on the ladder. They're 24 points. They're, they're three behind Sydney FC. I, I, I still think, personally, I think they're unlikely at the moment yeah. to, to make finals just because I, I don't see them being consistent enough to try and make a push and get in there. But it's a massive win for them. And like I said, two wins in six and, you know, for Brisbane, I think it, it really just does put the nail in the coffin, unfortunately. There's no better example of how quickly things change in the A-League than the Newcastle Jets. Plenty of elevation on the delivery. Dropped by Jack Duncan and Brighton to the back of the net by Callan Elliott. They were on such a great run, unbeaten in six or seven. Now they've lost two on the bounce. And, you know, one of them was a game they, on paper, thought they could have won against Western United, who were struggling. Now they go to Wellington and, and they lose 2-1. They had moments in the second half, but really the Phoenix dominated them in the first 45 and deserved all three points off the back of that. Uh, Steve Corica, Carl Viet, Rado Vitisic and Arthur Pappas are the nominations for Coach of the Month. That's after a wonderful February for Arthur Pappas, but it's just started to... Uh, slide a little bit for his team and uh, they're still in seventh they're only three points off six they can get things back straight away and still make finals but uh, they need to to stop things from uh, from falling apart too but you know the phoenix just looks so solid nick in that final third off the back of zavada and uh, and Kryev. yeah i mean first half it was all wellington um and it was the likes of zavada and Kryev causing all sorts of problems i mean if it wasn't for some desperate defending it could have easily been potentially two or three nil but then by the same token i think wellington got a bit lucky with that penalty i think it was a bit bit unlucky on angus thurgate um you know that went against him and uh in the end obviously wellington went in two nil but the response from the jets i mean yeah it's two losses in a row but i think arthur pappas would be quite pleased with how they responded um, on the road in Wellington to come back and get something like to really push and, and try and get something from that game. Uh, Manabu Saito was very good uh, in his first starts. He scored very impressive on the wing. Um, so yeah, it might be, you know, a disappointing result given Sydney got, got points and Wellington got points, but I don't, I don't think he'd be too discouraged coming out of that game because Wellington and Sydney play each other this weekend. There's a chance that obviously one will, you know, obviously not win and there'll be a chance for them to cut that gap again this weekend um, against Adelaide. But, you know, I don't, I don't think it was as bad as what it may have looked. I think there was a better response, much better performance than what it was against Western United. 
Um, but I think he'd be just a little bit disappointed in at least get something given the penalty decision that didn't go their way. It's arguably the game of the week, Wellington-Sydney at, at Eden Park, because you know, you're talking about fifth and sixth. Yeah, there's a little gap to seventh, but not a big one. So, yeah, for the, for the winner of that game... It's a massive boost in terms of your finals hopes. And for the loser, if Newcastle, for example, gets something against Adelaide, which may seem unlikely on form, but is possible at McDonald Jones, you know, that can change quickly. And you know, MacArthur have got Central Coast, a Central Coast team really struggling. They win that game. All of a sudden, the gap closes big time. So what a massive game that is at Eden Park. And our players pod this week is a Wellington special with Robbie Cornthwaite on Wednesday featuring Paul Eiffel, the great uh, Millwall player, of course, who had such a big impact at the Phoenix, and Alex Roofer as well, who is the son of a New Zealand football legend in Winton Roofer. So looking forward to their insights on the players pod. A-League's All Access this week is with Grace Ma. The A-League Women's Pod uh, is available with Kath Canooley and Teresa Pol- Elias as well. That comes out on Tuesday. A big win for Sydney FC in the A-League Women's over Western United. With games in hand, they've closed that gap and they're probably in the box seat now for the Premier's plate in the A-League Women's. So that was 1v2 on the weekend and Sydney FC won convincingly. So looking forward to uh, all of those episodes coming up on your podcast and then a big weekend of football. Perth, Western Sydney, as we said on Friday night. We've got a Mudgy on Saturday. I've been there once before. There are a lot of flies in Mudgee, but the best football surface I've seen in the A-League. It is a cracker at Glen Willow Regional Sporting Complex for the Mariners against MacArthur, which we spoke about. Newcastle, Adelaide on Saturday afternoon. Wellington, or Saturday night. Wellington, Sydney on Sunday. Melbourne City, Brisbane on Sunday is an interesting one. A chance for Melbourne City to uh, get back to winning ways. And then the Derby on Monday night. Labor Day in Melbourne. The victory against Western United, who are back in form. And they're another team. If they can knock off the victory, who are playing better than their ladder position suggests, Nick, as we've said, all of a sudden the champions are well and truly back in this finals race. And that's another one to look forward to on Monday night that no doubt you'll be uh, attending, Nick. Yeah, really looking forward to that game. I mean, for the sense that it is do or die now, as we said, for victory, but for Western United, there's a real opening for them, especially because of fifth versus sixth playing each other. And there's a real chance for them to cut in on this uh, deficit. I think they're starting to get bodies back. I think the, the the key is that they've got, it's no surprise that they've started to play better now with Josh Risen and Ben Garuccio being back in the 11. I think we forget how good they were last season, how good they are when they're playing together. And, you know, there's no surprise why, especially John Aloisi, and there's been talk of, you know, the time of them sort of being back in the Socceroos sort of um, frame and everything, because I still think that they're right up there as some of our better fullbacks. Um, so them coming in has certainly changed it a little bit. Their defence looks a little bit more sturdy. And then, of course, we spoke before, they've got a guy banging in the goals by Noah Botic. And if you've got Alexander Prijevic as well, they're waiting in the wings. It's not a bad combination to have. So I think they're starting to get back to that old sort of Western United DNA of being able to close out games. And I think, you know, if they can really go on a bit of a run here, get those results, they're going to make it a, a bit of a tight race for potentially that last final spot. Which of the games stand out for you this weekend, Dottie? Uh, Wellington and Sydney FC is a, is a really interesting one, just because you, you touched on him earlier in in Ollie's sale. So the deal that that deal to Perth is done. That's where he's going to be playing his football next year. And I think a lot of people will be looking at that move and thinking, why? You know, I know there's been championship interest in in Ollie's sale, League One as well from from the UK. He's 27 now, so he's coming into a, a real pivotal age range I suppose for a goalkeeper in you know sort of late 20s early 30s when you'd think he'd be potentially at his at his absolute peak and and I think his his post-match comments were really interesting at the weekend yeah he's captain of the football club he's been there for 10 years yeah. and he's played 
best part of three seasons worth now. So he's you know he's not played football that whole time. He's had his problems there as well with you know when they're over in New South Wales, and he's really bounced back a lot from that. And I just thought it was quite interesting that many maybe sort of questioned when it, when a move like this gets announced early on that they're leaving at the end of the season. A lot of people go, oh, well, that's it then. You know, that's that's them. They've already got their head somewhere else. They're thinking about it. And Ollie Sale was really, really quick to point out that, you know, that's not the case here. This is my football club. Like, I'm I'm a leader in this team. They've given me a chance at kind of to, to resurrect my career, if you like, after the off-field stuff. And, and he has been one of, if not the best goalkeeper in the league at times this season. Now, he's a fantastic goalkeeper. And I think it's a really interesting mix going into that game because if he's on form, then he provides a real good foundation for Wellington Phoenix especially those attackers at the other end of the pitch to go and do their thing and I suppose if you tie that all back in you know how pivotal Ollie Sell was to that ridiculous Wellington Phoenix Sydney FC game earlier in the season where the Adam LaFondra penalty scandals took place so that that for one uh, for me is one that really catches the eye. I mean it must be a financial move they've probably offered him a better deal and you can understand that but it is an interesting one Perth do have a, a massive vacancy between the sticks I mean the Brad Jones move hasn't worked out due to injury and maybe other factors I'm not sure um, you know Cameron Cook's just a bit raw Liam Reddy unfortunately is a wonderful A-League goalkeeper, but he's at the end of his his time now. So they've got an opportunity. They've invested in Ollie Sale, but it also wouldn't surprise me if there's a clause then. If he gets offered a move abroad, he can go. So it's probably a win-win for him in that sense. But to leave Wellington the way they're going for Perth, it probably wouldn't sit well. And you do ask the question, I mean, maybe the, the money that Perth have offered is just way over and above what Wellington have. But someone who's so integral to that club, why couldn't the Phoenix offer something better? You know, that, that's the question mark that you, you do have to ask as a Wellington Phoenix fan. So an interesting one, and his form will be watched as a result um, throughout the rest of the season with a lot of keenness because of this, but a massive game for them on Sunday. Nick, James, thanks so much for your work on the A-League Men's Podcast, brought to you by Neds, of course. Really enjoyed it. Thanks to Ben Waterworth uh, for putting it all together. And thanks to you for listening. Uh, we look forward to bringing you plenty more throughout the week across the Keep Up platforms and the podcast will be with you on Tuesday next week because of the Monday night game in Melbourne. These moves looking real nice in the future. These moves looking real nice in the future. These moves looking real nice in the future. Pull up on a minute, look nice. Look nice. These moves looking real nice in the future. These moves looking real nice in the future. These moves looking real nice in the future. Yeah, we look nice, future looking nice, we don't need to tell them twice. Come the future. Yeah, we look nice, future looking real nice, we don't need to tell them twice. Come the future. This episode of the podcast is possible thanks to Neds. There's no better way to take your A-League or any soccer betting to the Neds level than with the same game multi. It gives you bigger odds in the one bet by combining your favourite soccer and football markets like Match Result, Anytime Goal Scorer and both teams to score. A quick bit of insight to add here if you didn't know already. Neds is the official wagering partner of the A-Leagues. If that wasn't enough, Neds offers same-game multis on a massive range of sports like NRL, AFL, UFC and the NBA. Download the Neds app, check out your favourite sports and see if the same-game multi is available. Now you win some, you lose more. For free and confidential support, please make sure you visit gamblinghelponline.org.au.